Epiphany Fellowship. I love y'all. <laughs> um, I can't tarry on this part too long or I won't be able to get through the message. Uh, <laughs> but I, I've loved growing and learning to be one of your pastors. Um, to see what God has done in and through many of your lives and to see through that what he's done in my life has, uh, has broken me and caused me to rejoice out of more of our, our great God and Savior. So thank you. Thanks for being what God is calling us to be and growing in that. Um, to the elders, man, I came up under y'all. Um, thank you. You guys are dear friends. Um, and it's, it's one of those, when you get that call, it's like, man, I, I wish I could just stay in I wish. I want to go where Jesus wants us to go because we're going to do what he does. But just kind of that being honest with our emotions and letting Jesus as we're grieving and, and anticipating all at the same time. Um, I wish I could serve with y'all <laughs> my whole life. Um, Reverend Dr. Eric Mason. Man, you, you, took, you took me in um, when I was a little campus minister thinking I knew more than I did. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and you did become a, a, a true father in the faith. I've, I've had a lot of mentors in my life, um, but you became a spiritual father that wasn't afraid to jam me up in a loving way, in the way that I need to hear it. Some people can hear it differently, but the Lord used you to know how to jam me up in a healthy way to prepare. You married my wife and I. You took us through that pre, pre-engagement counseling and really walked through a lot of difficult times, our miscarriage. Um, and so I, I can't thank you enough um, for what you've done in my life and taking me and made me, um, and I love how Pastor Brandon was talking about that in the first, but honestly, I think both of us resonate, and I'm really like, you've made me so much of a man to learn how to pastor. Um, and I still wonder sometimes, Lord, is this, like, I, am I really ready for this? And somehow you keep, yes, Pastor Doug's, yes. The elder's like, yes. I'm like, Okay, Lord. Like, so I, I just honor, like, y'all, these are great men that I've gotten to serve with. Um, and, and so we, I, I honor you, Dr. Mason, um, elders, man, my friends, my brothers. Um, thank you to the Church of Epiph. Love y'all. Um, it's kind of one of those bittersweet moments, but it's exciting to see that we get to be a part of serving a great God who says we serve a kingdom that's unshakable. All right, and so everything else in this life, it can feel like things are like, man, what, but we serve to advance the kingdom that is unshakable. So thank you. Thank you, men. I love y'all. Um, to my beautiful bride, half the time when I'm doubting, sometimes, how is this really? She'll be my Zipporah to Moses when Moses forgot to circumcise and he was so preoccupied, all this stuff, and she circumcised, threw it at his feet, <laughs> right, their son. And that's what my wife often will continue. You talk about a help meet. Um, honestly, that's just basically keeping you walk with Jesus in different areas. Like, it's that simple um, and that profound. So, babe, I love you. Thank you. Uh, thanks for going on this journey, <laughs> um, that you've got to be called to go on this journey. And so I'm just so, I couldn't have chosen anybody else with that. Um, mom and dad, my, my parents are here um, all the way from California. I, I, <laughs> so they... I think, I think with, 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 with my parents, I just think I tweeted this other day, and um, like my, my dad, like they worked. My dad's still, I mean, he's almost 70, going on 50, um, 
And, but for them, him doing so much to prepare my brother for the things that my brother's going to be doing and just what they're doing work-wise in California. They worked a full day, jump on a flight to take a red eye to come out here. And everything, I just love seeing that everything that Pastor E's been teaching us about manhood restored. I just look and I'm like, man, that's, my dad has always just exhibited manhood restored. Like, I'm going to take the L, and I'm going to take a red eye, even though I can't sleep on it, and I know I can't, <laughs> to come out, and then to help you get your house ready to sell it. That's fatherhood, y'all. So, mom and dad, and mom enduring through all of that, and my kidney transplants, and just really walking me through the hospitalizations, and so I honor you. I don't get to do that very often um, outside of our personal conversations, but thank you. Um, well, let's dive in. Um, I'm excited about this text. Uh, this has been a text that the Lord has been, um, <laughs> I'm praying that God ministers profoundly here, but I know he's ministered to me through this text, and I need it, and so I'm excited to be able to dive into this. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today. It's funny that Pastor Kurt did 26 through 38. I was like, oh, no, is he going to step on my sermon? But I'm so glad he did it and complimented, so I didn't have to re-read, like, okay, Lord, we got to do something else. <laughs> so why don't you guys stand, as you know we do here at Epiphany Fellowship. Um, let's read. Uh, I'll, I'll begin, and we'll continue on. It's a long section, um, but I want us to soak this in. Um, and so chapter 1, verse 5, it's on the screen. Let's go ahead and begin to read. In the days of Herod king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth.
take Amen. Amen. So today we're going to talk about waiting in the kingdom agenda. Waiting in the kingdom agenda. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for being gracious and merciful. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that ultimately you have sent Christ to shepherd us, Lord God, the, the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, I, I thank you for shepherding my soul through this text and through your word these past couple weeks. Father, I, I thank you that you know all the different areas of our life, Father. You, you know where, as, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, that all scripture is profitable. You know where we need to be profited by the scriptures in teaching in reproof of showing error in our way, showing something that doesn't line up with Christ. And then, and then you know how to correct through your word. And then, Lord, you know how to instruct and train in righteousness. And so, Lord, I thank you that your word is sufficient for these things. Lord, I pray that as we uh, get into your text, Lord, and as we, as we look at the image of waiting, I pray, God, that every word from my mouth and every meditation of my heart would be pleasing unto you, uh, my Lord, my God. You are my hope, Lord God. You are our hope. And so we thank you for that. So bless this time. Bless your word, Lord. Not my opinions, not just what I can try to philosophize about, but your word. And what saith your word, you through your word, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So how many of y'all have Netflix? Yes, all right, so Netflix is, so my wife and I, we got Netflix about a year ago, I think, and so we started to get into uh, a particular series on Netflix, and the good thing is we caught it a season late, so what does that mean? We can sit there and watch it nonstop. <laughs> No commercials, right? Y'all feel me? And it's great. Now, I hadn't known the Netflix world prior to a year ago. So everything I would watch occasionally had what? Commercials. So I get used to the Netflix. And so then season two comes on and we're up to speed. So what do we have to do? We got to watch it on TV. Now, what happens when you're used to Netflix and, and the commercials come on with regular TV? What do you start thinking? Man, this is frustrating. I'm disappointed. Like, hurry up. Like, I don't have an hour to sit down and watch this episode, or I want to get to it really quick, right? And so oftentimes, similar, we live in a Netflix world, and our souls often navigate to a Netflix world where we, wanna, we want everything so fast that we have forgotten the secret of waiting. We don't know what waiting is. And the problem that is that we, because we don't know what waiting is, when we get into a season where we're waiting, we don't know what to do. And so we I have realized this, this past week, I was talking with Pastor E about this, I've realized that functionally sometimes I am a prosperity gospel person. Here's what I mean. I think that everything that's going to come when Jesus comes again to consummate the kingdom should happen now. But because it's not in line with God's purpose, I live in light of it should be happening now. But that's mixed up with my messed upness because when I think that it should happen like this is now, I start to function like I will function in the consummated kingdom, which is there will be no more sin. The problem is, is I got sin today. I still got the flesh. So what happens is that the waiting time, I don't know what waiting is because God uses waiting for a purpose, but if I don't know what that purpose is, and I want it all now, then I don't know how to wait in God's purpose in it. Okay, so, so 
I practically want it every way that I say it needs to happen. God, you need to do it this way. If you don't, you may not be in this. See how twisted that is? So Luke says, hey, Theophilus, I'm writing some stuff. He talks about this in chapter one. I'm writing some stuff to let you know that the things you've heard, I want you to grow in certainty in those things. Okay? So he comes in and says, one of those, I want you to learn what waiting is in the kingdom agenda. So that's where he picks up. Let's go into verse five here. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there's a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Now, this is interesting. Luke picks up, in the days of Herod, if you go back into the prophets, that's often how the prophetic literature will be introduced. In the days of this king, in the days of this king, in the days of this king. So it's a link. Luke simply is kind of linking his language to the Old Testament as a continuation of this story that started in Genesis chapter 1. God creates the earth, world makes it perfect, it's impeccable, right? And we're walking with him, we're enjoying him in the cool of the day, sin enters, we rebel against God, there's, there's judgment, we're cast out of the garden, but God doesn't stop there, he says, one day I will take the seed of this woman and crush the serpent of rebellion, and all that rebellion, and he will bruise the head. So we continue on with the promise in the very beginning that God is going to redeem, he's working, he's doing something then that mankind continues to while out so much to the point that a flood god says every inclination intention and thought in the man's heart is evil and wicked beyond hope god puts judgment flood happens after flood god says okay i'm gonna another time be fruitful multiply they build this tower babel try to create unity in their own understanding he separates them spreads them out by his grace sets up abraham Abraham, through you, I'm going to bring forth a people that will get my law, that will understand my ways, and that will be my people to reflect my character to the watching world that was in rebellion to me. So God calls this people. So these people go, they continue to rebel. He gives them judges to lead them. They continue to do what is right in their own eye. Stick with me, I'm going somewhere with this. They, then they continue to do what's in the, the right eye. Then he gives them kings because they want kings to be like the other nations. Right? He says, okay, give it to them. So he gives them the kings. The kings even fail. They do some good, but they fail. The prophets come on, call the kings back to repentance. Right? That's where we get in the days of, in the days of, in the days of, in the prophetic literature. Right? And then it goes on is that they continue to rebel. So God says, based on the covenant I made, you're not keeping up your end of it, so you're going into exile. And God was patient until it got to the point where they're in exile now out of the land that God had promised them then God says I'm faithful so about 70 years later based on what he told Jeremiah he calls them back so he frees them right they go back into the land but that's short-lived that's very short-lived then guess what you have 400 years of silence God does not speak through a prophet for 400 years in the days of Herod king of Judea. Herod, the problem with this king that Luke brings us, introduces, is he's in cahoots with the Roman emperor. Now, I can't go into the detail with time-wise, but the Roman emperor, he, he was known as one who would say, here's what it says. It says, he was known as the divine savior who has brought peace into the world. This is the Roman emperor. Based on chapter two, it was of the whole known world that they knew about. 
So here you have a people that are waiting. They're anticipating, God, where's your redemption? And all of a sudden, they're hearing messages from the Roman emperor that says, man, I'm the divine savior. I bring peace into the world. And they knew that wasn't it, but they're living in between this promise yet to be fulfilled. They live in the tension, and they're trying to understand, how do we deal with this waiting? And this is what we dive into. Now, what's cool is that Luke introduces, he goes further into this context. He says, in the days of Herod, this one who served with Octavius, this emperor at this time, there was a priest named Zechariah. This is beautiful. Now, many of you don't know the meaning of the word. This doesn't mean anything. But Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. He means Yahweh remembers. So in the midst of that difficult time of waiting, guess who the, one of the first people he introduces in this gospel? Zechariah. The other synoptics don't do that. They have different things. But he's specifically getting in to show the power and what God is doing. They say, after 400 years of silence, in the days of Herod, Zechariah. Yeah. Yahweh remembers. That's incredible. Don't miss that. Everything in the word of God is rich and saturated with things to remind us in those difficult times of waiting. Yahweh remembers. He's of the division. This Zechariah is of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, what this doesn't mean is that they were exempt from the need for salvation in Christ, right? It doesn't exempt them from the Romans 3, 21 and Romans 8 that talks about the righteousness that God requires doesn't come from the law. It comes from faith in Christ. That's not what this is getting at. Luke is not saying that they didn't need Jesus. But what's cool about this is that back in the day, Hebrews 11 reminds us that it was those in the Old Testament before Jesus came, it was their faith and belief in the fact that God would send the promised redeemer. That faith, they greeted it from afar and they believed God to bring it to pass. And it says in Abraham that that faith counted, was counted as righteousness. It was God's favor upon this couple to grace them to be able to actually walk with God. That didn't save them, but it was them looking and anticipating towards God's promised redeemer. And so here it picks up another thing is these two, here's what righteous, if we can break that down. Righteous is its accepted standards of morality or justice. So they walked with God in those areas of accepted standards of morality or justice. Blameless, without blame in any area of conforming to God's standards. So they conform to God's standards. Now, if Luke is not trying to teach a doctrine that is not biblical, which would say that they didn't need Jesus, that they had righteousness by the law. That's not what he's teaching. So he's not teaching that because that's not biblical doctrine. Then he's teaching something else. What is he doing here? What he's doing is he is laying out the idea that these two were of priestly lineage and they followed the law carefully and with much precision. So listen to this. Elizabeth and Zechariah were righteous and blameless before God but they were without child. Hold on. Elizabeth and Zechariah were blameless and righteous before God, but they were without child. Let me say that one more time. 
Elizabeth and Zechariah were, were, were righteous and blameless before God, with, but they were without child. Does that mean anything? Let me, let, me, let, me, let me paint this picture a little bit. What, because the reason why is because they were barren. Elizabeth was barren, all right? And they were both too old beyond the age of conception. So they were without, they walked with God. They were blameless before God and, and righteous and blameless, but they were without child because his wife was barren. They were both too old. Let me paint this. To understand this idea of this contrast, what is barrenness? Let me just read this real quick. To be childless was economically and socially disastrous. Economically, because parents had no one to support them in old age. Socially, because in the law, barrenness was sometimes a judgment for sin, based on Deuteronomy chapter 28. And many people assume the worst possible cause of a problem. Most people assume that barrenness was a defect of the wife. And check this, and Jewish teachers generally insisted that a man divorce a childless wife so he could procreate. Let me say this again. Elizabeth and Zechariah were righteous and blameless before God, but they had no child because she was barren and they were too old. Do you catch that? Can you imagine the disappointment that they had with God? God, I've done this. We've, we've saw, I mean, I can't read into their motives, but what I can look at it based on chapter 1, verse 18, that he was doubting God. He was in a place of disappointment. All right, there was something that he was, he was struggling with. Can you imagine the disappointment? We've walked with you. We've sought to, we, we love you, we walk with you, and yet we're childless. Not just because we chose not to have sex and have kids, but my wife is barren and we're too old. Can you imagine how some people looked at them at, at the reproach? Not everybody understood what was going on in this context. So you, you got to understand, they were going through a lot of stuff. So let me bring it home uh, for, you, for us. There are times when you serve faithfully only to remain single. Where you maintain purity as a single only to see that all your friends get married. You seek to raise your child in the way of the Lord only to see them go through a season of deep rebellion as they get older. Uh, where you follow Jesus in your marriage only to have a miscarriage or a stillborn child. And you see all the other fruitfulness going on around you, even in illegitimate ways. Where you work hard and with integrity only to see somebody else get the job or the promotion. Am I speaking your language? Yes. Where you work hard or where, where you study for the students in the house long hours only to see that the person who partied the night before without studying scored far and beyond you. <laughs> okay, I know y'all feel that, students. <laughs> and so what's happening is these times we can get highly disappointed, can't we? The waiting time we can get highly disappointed. And so it's in these times when we can begin to wane and say, God, is this really who you are? Are you really doing something? I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm, I'm frustrated. And yet, here's the thing. Luke makes it clear that it's not from barrenness. I mean, it's not from sin. This barrenness, like Job, is not a result of just sin or a curse. He says there's something else. And so, so what do we do with this? I remember, reason this week, our house, we're still trying to sell our house to prepare to walk. What we've, we've, since Jesus says, clear timing-wise and everything, 
our house is not sell, sold yet. And in fact, there's a lot of people saying, you're not going to get that much money for your house. And we don't, as a church planner in the city, we don't have a lot of money, <laughs> right? So I'm just trying to sell that. So we have, my wife and I have been wrestling through this. And it's been the times of that and a few other things that the Lord has just been like, like, nope, I, I'm not. And, and I have been tempted to think through in this waiting time, maybe you're not in this. Maybe you're not going to do this. And so what God had to bring me back to was Genesis 11.30, where he introduces, right before he calls Abram, he introduces, his, his, says his wife Sarai was barren because she had no children. And then he gives Abraham the promise. You're going to have a whole big crew of family. That he says this right after he says his wife is barren and without child. Then he goes down in chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, and you get that famous where they're wondering, hey, I only have Eleazar. Abraham's walking through this journey of walking with God, not knowing exactly where he's going to go. He's in kind of this waiting time, like, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. But he goes up to the promised land, then there's a drought. And then he's got to go down to Egypt, and then he goes back, and then he, he goes and the Lord appears to him. He says, I, I just have a son, Eleazar. I don't know how this is going to happen, Lord. It finally comes out the stuff he was dealing with. I don't know how this is going to happen. So then he gets to the point where they bring up and say, okay, Abraham, is anything impossible for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? So he gets to this point where he says, what this points to, if it's not, and this is what the Lord is just making so clear, if it is not an issue of sin, which we know clear is in the text because it says they were righteous and blameless, but without child, the barrenness was not a result of the sin, but it flashes back to Abraham, which we know, if you know that text, it says, God must be up to something greater. God must be up to something greater. And that's the time when you got to look and you got to know, God, what is it that you're up to? We may not know how it works out, but you got to begin to evaluate and say, Lord, in my waiting, if this is not something that is a clear sin, that it's just not known, but I know you're calling me to this and it makes sense, well then, there must be something. And this text pushes us to anticipate again. 400 years of silence, and now we're seeing God do something. And it's in the time of waiting where God is like, I want to push you to anticipate again. Because my kingdom agenda is still on advance. It's still moving. And so you got to remember, in those times when this tension comes up, you got to take those, those, those uh, altars like Abraham made, and you got to remember those. Practically, you got to remember where God was working and what he was doing because you will go through those times of doubting, right? But you got to hold on to the faithfulness of God in that process. Then he goes on in verse 8. Let's continue on here. Now, while he was serving, so in the midst of his disappointments, all right, the text is pushing us to anticipate again. But while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, all right, so what would happen is the priest, there was 18,000 priests in that context, okay? Since there was 18,000 priests, what was happening was that they would go in and they would offer this incense in the morning and then the evening in the tabernacle, which was the temple, which was God's means of communing with his people, uh, covering over sin from the sacrifices, and that was his means of grace during that time. So priests would go in and they would offer incense, all right? And you only got to do it once in a lifetime, this was a special thing to do. 
So he's just going in, and check this out, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty. So he's serving. What is he doing in the midst of his disappointment? He's serving. He's serving. He's serving. Now I'm going to bring this, there's a lot in this. So I want to, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot. Watch this. He was serving, while he was serving God saw fit. The lot is cast in the lap, as Proverbs 16.33 says, but the outcome is from the Lord. So the lot is showing while you're serving and you don't see me doing it, I'm behind it working my plan out. You see that? While you're faithfully serving and you don't understand, I'm behind it. In fact, I'm letting the lot at this time, in the fullness of time, when you least expect it, but you're simply faithfully serving me, I'm letting the lot fall on you. And so what is that lot for? Before we get this, this is interesting. And I just, this just hit me last night. Watch this. It doesn't say while he was going to get ready to serve, the lot fell on him. While he was already serving, the lot fell on him. In your disappointment and your waiting, don't let discouragement and disappointment become so ingrown that you say, I will not serve unless I'm given a leadership position. I will not do anything until God puts me in a place that I will like because that's dangerous. What he did while he was serving, God said, all right, all right, Zechariah, here's your time. And it's not manipulating God, but he just faithfully served God. Because guess what? He didn't serve God because God gave him a promotion. He served God because he loved God. (laughs) He served God because he loved God. And in the waiting times, we'll be tempted to draw back and to say, I'm just going to do it if you put me in this leadership position. If you don't confront me on my sin. If you don't tell me that I need to try to get in a life group. If you don't get into my business. like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the list can go on. But God is about making us like Christ in these seasons. Wow. And so it goes on in verse 9. We got verse 9. And then check this in verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside of the hour of incense. So everybody was praying out. They're anticipating the redemption for the coming of the Redeemer. They're anticipating this. And we are starting to get a glimpse of it. It's starting to unfold before our eyes. And if we're going to, let's continue on to verse 11. Well, before we get there, I do want to put this out. In this time, y'all, you're going to be tempted not just to put conditions on you serving for the church, in, in Christ's church, but you're also going to seek to dip out to isolation. See, he stayed in the means of grace, and what he did was he did what God called him to do. I can't believe I almost missed this. He did exactly what God was calling him to do. So what is it that God, that you know he's made clear in his word? Is calling you to do. This is good for Pastor Brandon, applying from his message today. What is it that God has made clear in, your, in his word? And where he makes it clear, walk in that. Yes. Make it, that's, that's the key of waiting where you don't understand. What he makes clear, walk in it. Yeah. That's what Zechariah did. Is he walked in what God has made clear. Because if you dip back in isolation and you put conditions on serving, 
then what happens is you're not, you're, you're not placing yourself in the means of grace where God actually works in your life and ministers to you. And so that's what you got to say. Be faithful where you are by the grace of God and look to a passage like Hebrews 12 if you're having a hard time doing that. Look to Jesus. What did he do when he endured at, at difficulty, at times that were tough? And so we got we to gotta really begin to press in and be faithful because later on, now he goes from the outside of them anticipating into the inside. In verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Anytime you have an angelic appearance, it's not like, uh, man, I'm going to go give you a high five. I had one dude at a conference that, that I was at. He started like trying, trying to prophesy different things over me and stuff. And he says, man, you got a big old angel, man. Just turn around and give him a high five. And I was like, I'm so confused right now. I'm lost. Because when I see angels in the word of God, look, there are at least three different ways that angels work. They come to give birth announcements and communicating divine revelation. They're coming to the aid of God's people, or they're executing divine judgment or wrath. <laughs> so you see an angel, cats be falling on their face, right? So he's fearful, and he says, what does this mean? Now, he might have had a hint, as we do in the text, that he was on the right side of the altar of incense. So it was a favorable appearance, right? But if it's a favorable appearance, what does this mean? We've been, in, we've been in silence for 400 years. What, is God, what, is, what does this mean? And then he, as he's trying to figure this out, what happens is in, he it continues on, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. That tense has been heard points to the fact that there was a time in the past, most likely, that he prayed and his prayer was heard. So if he prayed and his prayer was heard, apparently it wasn't answered right away. And so then, what happens, he prayed. What was he praying for? Go on to the next one. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and she'll call his name John. He was praying, most likely, for a son, or a child at least. He had prayed for a child, and it hadn't come to pass. Why? Because his wife was barren. So he had prayed. The Lord had heard the prayer. So many of us, we get in a place where we pray, but because we're in an instantaneous, we don't know how to wait generation of Netflix and Burger King, have it your way, prosperity gospel theology that we like to practically live in, even though I won't spit that theology from my mouth, but in my heart, I want to believe that. And the Lord is saying, I want to teach you that as you pray, right, there are times when the Lord hears, but he's just not going to answer right away. And check this out. He goes further on. This isn't just any old son that he answers his prayer. Here's who this, this son will be, verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. It's repentance, calling the people to turn back to the Lord. It's the last prophet that he's going to be before Jesus comes on the scene. So he talks about he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17, 
And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now this goes back to rich in Malachi language. All right, so it's rich. You can go into chapter 14, I mean chapter 4. At the end of the Old Testament, there's this promise given that there will be Elijah will come again. And he will turn the heart of the fathers back to the children. And so this person will be the one that was promised to you in Malachi. That, that's, the Lord is promising that and he's bringing it to pass. And your son will not just be an answered prayer for your personal like, desire, but I'm bringing you into my greater redemptive purpose. See, in the waiting, the Lord loves to allow you to wait sometimes. Everything can't be instantaneous. Why? Because we're still a mess, and the Lord is working on us. But in the waiting, what he did here, he says, I'm going to take your personal prayer, and I'm going to stretch it. I'm going to stretch it to where I'm going to answer it, right? And it's going to minister, and it's going to bless you because you're going to have joy, right? And he, later on, he says, you're going to take Elizabeth's reproach away, because she had a baby now, but also your son will be the prophet that will point the way to the redemptive plan being fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So in the waiting, God is at work. And could it be that in your waiting, he's saying, you know what? Sometimes your prayers and your actions are more about yourself than for the benefit of the kingdom. And God loves to get that and work it. I mean, he does it like in Deuteronomy 8 where he is all throughout the Bible where he says, man, I'm going to hold back things that you think you need to show you what's in your heart and to humble you so that you can learn that man doesn't live on this stuff alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so that's what, in the waiting, in the prayer, and as you're, as you're thinking through what waiting looks like in your life, I want to give you three ways of prayer. This, there's, there's three different types of prayer where this could be. Is that one is, it could be, your prayer could be an instantaneously answered prayer. Some of y'all probably experienced that, where God just answers it right away. Two, it could be a delayed answer to prayer, like Zacharias. But don't lose heart in that, because God is seeking to align us with his redemptive purpose. Yeah. All right, and that's what he's doing. Number three, or it's an edit or a no, because he has something different. The way that you know, because when you go through those waiting times, it's going to be difficult. And in fact, Zechariah, you could tell in the rest of that text, 18 through, I think, 20, 18 on, it talks about Zechariah was, he, he doubted that God would ever do that for him, that God was able to do that for him. So his, his discouragement and disappointment had kind of seeped into a place that he was still serving, but he needed a lot of grace in his life. And some of us today, we get into that place where, where we're in one of those prayer areas, and maybe some of y'all are in a prayer area right now where you're finding yourself waiting. And you don't know how God is doing it, but you know based on the word of God and the counsel of wise community that this is something that God is calling you to do. And you're feeling very discouraged and you want to give up right now. You want to go into isolation. You don't want to serve faithfully. You don't want to be in the context. And the root of that is because you're having a hard time believing that God could actually be gracious like that. You're having a hard time remembering that God is good. Yeah. And that he brings to pass everything he does is good and just. Yeah. And so as you're in that moment, you can understand with Zechariah, here's the beautiful thing. 
when this whole book of Luke is pushing towards the kingdom agenda. And God is, is saying, man, I am working in the, in the now and not yet, in the in-between. I am giving you glimpses of reminder. The greatest one he gave us, as you continue to read this, is that Jesus is this promised Messiah. Jesus comes, and he takes the barren. And, and, he, and, and Psalm 113 talks about this, where he gives children to the barren. Right? He takes the poor who are, who are destitute and don't have it, and it's at the end's wit, and he says, I'm going to work because when I do, I'm going to make sure I get the glory. Do you believe that that's actually good? Yeah. Do you believe that to, for God to say the best thing that you could do is do it so that I get the glory? Do you believe that? Or do you like, oh, I don't know, God, that sounds selfish. Because if you're in that disposition, there's something you're missing about the glory of God. That in his glorification is our satisfaction. In his glorification is our peace. In his glorification, we can make sense so that when we're in the now and not yet, what we look at is we say, if he sent Jesus, I always go back to Romans 8, if he didn't spare his own son, then how much more would he not give you everything you need to bring the full past your salvation? Your, your justification made right with God, your sanctification and working out to where you practically look more like Jesus, your glorification when Jesus comes again and you have no more sin, you'll get a glorified body and we'll be with him forever. He's working that. He's already done it in Jesus and he's working it out. Can you believe him? Yeah. That that is our good as a church. That's our good as a people of God is when God says, you know what? I'm not going to sell this house right now. God, I don't get it. I don't know how you're going to do it. Maybe I can start to work it out. God, I, no, I'm not going, you're not going to get this job right now. I have a, a one over here. You may not like it, but endure in that because I'm, I'm, I'm talking you on some stuff. I'm teaching you some stuff. Right? This, you may not like the family. You're, you don't like the situation with your uncle that came up. Right? But God says, but I have you there for a reason, and I want to teach you in it. You see that? So that's what we see is that another thing is that what the last part is that it wraps up. Elizabeth says that God came in and, and worked in her barrenness. And so just remember, in the waiting time, God knows how to work in your soul. And he knows how to work and provide according to his purpose. So in summary, when the waiting seasons happen, whether it's, Usually it's not an instantaneous prayer. If it's a delayed answered prayer, or he's not going to do it because he's aligning you with his kingdom purpose, remember his goodness. Make an altar. That's why we name, the Lord have us name Zachariah, Zachariah. Because we sense that this year, in the beginning of 2015, we sense that this year at Solemn Assembly would be our year of walking by faith in a way that was going to challenge us. So God put that on there to name him Zachariah. Every time I look at my son, I think Yahweh remembers. Yeah. Every time I look at him, we think God is faithful. Through come hell and high water, in the tears, in the pain, God is faithful. And the greatest thing that we know about that is that he sent his son to deal with the issues of why we don't wait and why we rush. He says, wait and anticipate because I give you life through Jesus Christ. Let's, let's, let's pray. Father.